What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. How's it going, everybody? It is Wednesday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we have a busy one. We're going to take a look under the hood of this Dolphins and Raiders game on Saturday night, the first primetime affair for your Miami Dolphins this season. We'll get into the matchups, the Raiders' key elements of their game, the scheme, the personnel, all that fun stuff. We're going to hear from Coach Flores on this game and talk a little bit about Christmas and the holiday season. Plus, we're going to take a look at some future draft capital and salary cap positioning for your Miami Dolphins and do a little sneak peek into the draft here for a second. All of that and more on this Wednesday, December the 23rd edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Hey, Dolphins fans, the new year starts now at AutoNation. Let's skip the rest of the 2020 and get to big New Year's savings on your favorite AutoNation Chevys, Fords, Toyotas, Hondas, and a whole lot more. Shop safely at the AutoNation store near you or AutoNation.com and save now. And we have a bit of a day-by-day focus here on the Drive Time Podcast, but I came across an article that was part of the top news story on Tuesday up on MiamiDolphins.com, and the article comes from OverTheCap.com, and it's called Salary Cap Sunk Cost in 2021. And the author of this piece is Jason Fitzgerald. And essentially what he's looking at is projecting available flexibility within the salary cap for teams heading into this offseason. We know Miami did a bunch last year to kind of turn some of those those salary cap dollar resources into extra draft picks and kind of push the can down the road to 2020 and 2021 after the first year under Brian Flores and Chris Greer here in 2019. And the result of this piece up on overthecap.com is the Dolphins have the third fewest amount of sunk salaries in the NFL. Basically what you're looking at there is the amount of salary that's not contributing to your football product on the field itself. Again, we talked about this in 2019. The Dolphins did so much to kind of to pay for salaries like Ryan Tannehill or Robert Quinn in those trades to acquire draft capital and kind of clear the books a little bit to get themselves in position to be able to acquire players that fit the vision and the scheme of Brian Flores and Chris Greer and to be active this past free agency going out and getting Kyle Van Noy and Byron Jones and Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba, Eric Flowers and Ted Karras and you guys know the players, the cast of that list but as we look at this list Again, put together by Jason Fitzgerald on OverTheCap.com, it gives you an idea of how Miami remains flexible in the second year of this kind of process, the third year under Brian Flores and Chris Greer. And he has the Dolphins as the third, the team with the third fewest sunken cost. And he puts the Colts, Buccaneers, and Dolphins kind of in this grouping together, saying how how much better or advantageous of a situation they are in from this standpoint, from a cap structure standpoint than the rest of the NFL. He writes this note, Team 3 is the Dolphins who have really utilized their salary cap purge better than anyone ever has. Thus far, they have embraced a different approach, which gives them a ton of flexibility for a time when they want to create a ton of cap room. So that, again, creates... This level of flexibility you have going into the offseason with team building in mind, how you can approach either free agency or the draft. And going into the draft, the Dolphins have the most draft picks in 2021. We also could be, we'll see how it shakes out, 
the, they could be the first team since the 1999-2000 Washington football team to qualify for the playoffs, but also wind up with a top three pick in the NFL draft. The 1999 Washington football team went 10-6 and and won the AFC East. And in 2000, they actually had the second and third pick in the draft and wound up with LeVar Arrington and Chris Samuels, a pair of all pros there in Washington. So how they got those picks from New Orleans and San Francisco, that is a fantastic job of putting yourself in position to win now, but also build for the future. Miami's in a somewhat similar position, not going to have two picks that high, but the current Houston Texans pick that came over part of that Laramie Tunzel trade currently sits number sixth overall. The Texans do play the Bengals in week 16 and then finish up with the Titans in week 17. So we'll certainly monitor that to see where that draft pick lands as right now it could fall anywhere from third overall to 12 overall in this year's draft. And going back to the draft and talking about having those high draft picks, we know Miami has the two first round picks and the two second round picks this year. And Again, that, that second-round pick from Houston could also wind up being in the top 40 as that team plays out the rest of the string, plays out the rest of the season this year. And it brings me up to this upcoming draft class, something we haven't looked at a whole lot. It's been a very, very different season as far as evaluating college prospects with all the college football games being canceled or postponed or the opt-outs that we've had. Just the, the unpredictable nature of the college football season has certainly changed things and we'll certainly see a change in the way the Senior Bowl and the Scouting Combine has covered all that fun stuff. Stuff that we've all grown to know and love and really was kind of my baby at first when I started off doing the whole football podcasting and, and Miami Dolphins focused or centric focused podcast was taking a look at team building and acquiring players. Well, here we are going into a 2021 offseason here in a few weeks where to me this draft class is loaded in a few areas that, you know, I don't think we've seen it that way for a long time. The running back and wide receiver positions, potentially in this year's class, depending on who declares and who doesn't, with all the talent available, whether you're looking at Jamar Chase from LSU who opted out to, to prepare for the draft this year, or Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith in Alabama, Kadarius Toney at Florida, just talking about SEC receivers entering the NFL draft. There are so many loaded receivers in this year's class, and the running back position looks pretty dang good as well. You've got... Najee Harris out of Alabama, Travis Etienne from Clemson. Etienne was possibly a first-round projected pick by many last year by Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay and Daniel Jeremiah coming out of Clemson last season. He returns and just puts together an even better season this year. I think the offensive line class might be one of the deeper ones we've seen in quite some time. There are some defensive players I've got my eye on. Again, I want to do some more studying on this as we go along in the future. But guys like Boogie Basham, for instance, out of Wake Forest, Carlos Boogie Basham, like 280 pounds, six foot five, kind of has that makeup off the edge to really rush the passer and pack the running game that way as well. But just our first little primer or glimpse into some of the top players, as according to the Draft Network and other avenues that do this stuff year-round, just looking at the possible top picks. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, the top two quarterbacks that Jordan Reed of the Draft Network has going off the board to Jacksonville and the Jets, respectively. Panay Sewell, the tackle out of Oregon, he has pretty much since his freshman year there at Oregon, been just a people mover and an exceptional athlete with great pass protection skill sets. He is atop most offensive line boards. Zach Wilson from BYU, if you guys caught the Boca Raton Bowl on Tuesday night, he really went ham on the UCF defense. He has been a heck of a player this year with some intriguing skills and traits as well. So three possible quarterbacks off the board here early before the 
Dolphins, you know, that number six pick currently in this particular draft or mock draft from Jordan Reed. You've also got Micah Parsons, a linebacker out of Penn State. He opted out this year as well, but he figures to be in that top 10, top five range. And that's where they have the Dolphins sitting at number six with some receiver talent, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith. You've got Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan, the two cornerbacks who most folks have, along with J.C. Horn atop their cornerback big board. We mentioned Carlos Basham from Wake Forest, the pass rusher. Gregory Rosau from Miami and Quiddy Pay from Michigan are the top two on Jordan Reed's list here. Rayshon Slater kind of joins that Panay Sewell offensive line position. Jalen Waddle's in there as well to round out the receiving group. Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. So there's plenty of talent at some key positions across the offense, across the defense in this draft. As early declarations have already began this year again in this funky COVID season. But I do want to go more in-depth on the draft class with some expert help and some expertise from around the NFL landscape. Once this season ends, just want to go ahead and make a note that we will have a strong emphasis on getting expertise on the podcast and giving you guys some great opinions and draft breakdowns and, and talk about this class as a whole as we ramp up towards the draft. But that's that's a little bit ways off. We still have plenty of football left this season, plenty of meaningful football left this season for your Miami Dolphins. But I thought it was important 16 or 15 weeks into the season to update where we are ahead of the offseason because this season has flown by and the offseason will be here before you know it. Let's go ahead and spin this thing forward to Coach Flores's uh, Wednesday morning media availability. Almost forgot what day it is as he spoke a little bit about the Raiders Christmas some stuff on his own roster but I want to start there with Flores talking about Christmas his traditions with his family and just the holiday season for Brian Flores as far as the second part of that question Christmas you know, for me there's a lot of great memories again like I've said before you know, similar to Thanksgiving you know our family and my family would get together all the time and just enjoy each other's company and uh, you know celebrate you know Christmas, obviously the you know, birth of Christ, and, and just you know, enjoy, enjoy enjoy one another. To me, Coach really hits the nail on the head there with that last comment about enjoying one another because. You know, get a little bit personal here on the podcast. For a long time, my family hasn't been really a singular unit where I get to spend the holidays around, you know, the people that I grew up with. My, my mother passed away five years ago, and that kind of changed the dynamic of our Christmas season. I try to spend as much time as I can with my brother. My one real close, true relative that I have is my brother, so we spend most of the holiday together as well. But the impact of having like an adopted family, almost, so to speak, my wife's family has always welcomed me over to their place. And we do this tradition on Christmas Eve that has become kind of a recent tradition in years that I've really grown to know and love and and uh, we'll certainly miss it in years future when we don't get to do it, you know, being down in South Florida. But this year we do get to go back for Christmas Eve. I get to go home and be with my wife and my daughter and, and the family. So that's going to be something I look forward to, get the spirits going, get the gifts going. We play these games where you, you have to like put oven mitts on and try to unwrap this Christmas gift. And it just, it's a lot of fun to be around people you love, people you care about and, and, and enjoy the holiday season. So I hope all of you out there as well can enjoy the holiday season this year and be around loved ones as much as you can in this strange year. But I think Coach Flores nailed it on the head right there. It's about being around those that you love this time of year. Let's go ahead and get back on track here and talk a little bit more football on this Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And to kind of go back to our opening segment, they're talking about team building and coach was asked this morning about the 2020 offseason and putting together this football team and to me this kind of coincides with a few points we've hit on all season long where we talked about you know the Dolphins making room for 
for building this roster the way the vision that Brian Flores sees for the football team. We had that clip from Brian Baldinger. It was either two or three weeks ago where he talked about the vision of pairing these physical, aggressive cornerbacks like Xavier Howard and Byron Jones and rounding out the pass rush with multiple versatile people that could do several different things for you and kind of fit that versatility moniker we talk about all the time on this podcast. Freeing up the roster or the ability to go out and build a roster to that vision, I think was an integral part of what you're seeing right now with this nine and five football team and the you know second youngest team in the NFL building towards being, you know, improving upon this nine and five record here in the near future. I think it really speaks to the Dolphins' vision to to clear the space and clear the cap and get the draft capital to go get the kind of guys you want. And those kind of guys, Brian Flores says Let's just go ahead and hear from Coach. You no, know, we, we wanted to add uh, the right people, um, guys who are tough and smart and competitive, love to play, team first. So I think, you know, just with every addition, you know, that we had that in mind. I don't know if familiarity was, I know you mentioned that, but, you know, guys like Shaq Lawson, Agba, and Byron Jones weren't, weren't as familiar, weren't, you know, they've never been in this defense, you know, but it, like guys like Elandon and Van Noy. But we're just looking for the right people, guys with a skill set. All those guys are you know, good players. They want to be coached. And, uh, they work hard. And I think they worked hard this, this year and improved. And that's all we're looking really looking for. And we are going to hear from rookie quarterback Tua Tungavailoa here at the end of this podcast. But first, I want to go ahead and get to Coach Flores' answer about the importance of ball security when it came to evaluating the, the quarterback position this past offseason and how important that was in the decision-making to ultimately go ahead and draft Tungavailoa fifth overall. Here's Coach. I think that's always at the top of the priority list for anyone looking at uh, any offensive position. You know, turnovers are the number one um, reason why people lose games, I would say that's hopefully at the top of everyone on the Dolphins fan list. Hope it's at the top of yours, Adam. Um, so, yeah, it's at the top of mine. It was at the top of, I think it's one of those, anyone who's doing an evaluation, if you feel like this guy's going to turn the ball over time and time again, I, I, mean, I don't see why you would take a chance on somebody like that. Um, the has done a good job from that standpoint. Um it's something we stress on a daily basis uh, and take care of the football. I know it's not always perfect. But just, there's, there's a lot of good players in this league who are consciously trying to take the ball away. Um, and we're trying to do the same thing defensively in the kicking game. So, I mean, that's the game. You know, defenders are, defenders are trying to consciously trying to take the ball away, and offensive players should be consciously trying to secure the ball. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's very high on my priority list at any anyone who handles the football punter snapper center quarterback running back tight end receiver do you intercept the ball you got to secure the football and we had that a couple weeks ago we get an interception we fumbled it thankfully we got it back but yeah ball security is at the top of my list And ball security certainly provides an interesting segue into the game preview we're going to jump into here just real quick. But first, I want to go ahead and hear from Coach Flores on the challenges presented by this Raiders offense. It's very multiple. A lot of personnel groups, a lot of shifts, a lot of motions, good players. So good run game, good pass game. It'll be challenging, very challenging for us. We've got to do a good job really. Um, Communication-wise, fundamentals, technique. And uh, we'll try to limit them. But, you know, they got some explosive players, good backs, and quarterbacks, you know, regardless of which one's out there. 
and that provides a perfect segue into the game preview that we have up on MiamiDolphins.com for you guys. As I was researching the Raiders a little bit before I wrote the preview and went back and looked at the same thing that we saw last week with the Patriots offense in terms of two-back personnel utilizing a fullback in the formation. We talked about Jakob Johnson having the second most snaps among fullbacks in the NFL this season. Alec Ingold from Las Vegas is number third in that category behind Kyle Juszczyk and Jakob Johnson. No offense operates out of 22 personnel. That's two running backs, two tight ends, one receiver more than Las Vegas. And you might recall when John Gruden first got to Oakland, they acquired a bunch of big physical tight ends. They acquired a big running back in Josh Jacobs later on the line. They also got Trent Brown, the 380-pound offensive tackle. And that kind of lines up with the vision of that offense. They averaged 339 pounds to a man across the offensive line. That's the heaviest in the entire National Football League. And it goes deeper than just the 22 personnel. They run one wide receiver in the formation a league-high 15% of the time. This is a league where three and four receivers is pretty commonplace in the National Football League, but one out of every, oh man, I don't know math, 15% of the time, they only have one receiver on the field. So because of that, the Raider offense ranks 11th in scoring, 26.9 points per game, as well as total offense at 375 yards per game. They're 12th in the ground game and 14th through the air. So a top half of the league offense in every single category. On defense, nobody blitzes, or only two defenses rather blitz at a lower rate than the Raiders. They bring an extra rusher on just 20.5% of their defensive snaps, but the four-man pass rush they utilize provides pressure on 22.7% of opposing dropbacks. That's 17th best in the league. So anytime you have a higher pressure rate than you do blitz rate in terms of ranking, that's always a great sign. Max Crosby is a problem on that defensive line for the for the Las Vegas Raiders, almost at Oakland. You got to get that guy blocked out of Eastern Michigan. As a defense, they rank 29th in scoring, 25th in total defense. They are 25th in rushing defense and 26th in the passing defense game. And that brings us into the matchups for this game that I'm taking a look at. And the most interesting fact I found was the money down. The Dolphins defense has formed several habits this season, one of which is the league's top third down defense, allowing conversions on just 32.5% of their opposition's third downs. On the other side of the football, the Raiders enter play with a number two ranked third down offense at 49.1% conversion. So a big battle there. And both teams help set themselves up for success on third down by winning early downs. The Raiders offense averages 5.1 yards per play with a strong mix of a power run game, but also a vertical passing attack. And what's interesting about their vertical passing attack going to guys like Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller down the field is they won't utilize play action as much as you might think off of that look. It's actually they have a dip in production from yards per pass attempt by 2.3 yards from play action compared to non-play action passes. Kind of a upside down type of stat there in the National Football League. Their 7.9 intended air yards ranks 20th in the NFL. So short controlled passing game to kind of go along with that running game and they build those vertical shots in off of that. Miami's third down defense does more than get stops though. They create takeaways. Seven of Miami's 16 interceptions this year have occurred on third down and a passer rating on third down of just 62.7 across the entire National Football League. That is best in the NFL. The number two matchup here, you heard Coach Flores talk about both quarterbacks, the yin, the yang. Is it Carr? Is it Mariota? Either way, the Dolphins have killed quarterback stat lines all season long. Opponents have a passer rating against of 83.9 against Miami. That's third best in the NFL. And though both are effective in 2020 with Derek Carr having a 102 passer rating, that's ninth best in the NFL. 
And when he gave way to Marcus Mariota, he throws for 226 yards and adds 86 yards on the ground in that loss to the Chargers. And Mariota wasn't sacked in his first game as a Raider, but he did take an average of 3.68 sacks per game his last two seasons in Tennessee. And the converse of that is Derek Carr has been sacked just 20 times in his 14 games this season and was dumped only 29 times last year in 16 games. This Raider offensive line is very, very good. With Trent Brown, we mentioned him, the 380-pound tackle formerly of the Patriots. Colt Miller's having a hell of a career so far after going off the board in the first round. Rodney Hudson, one of the best centers in the entire National Football League. These guys can get it done up front and can move bodies off the football. And they can pass protect too. We talk about the low number of sacks. That'll be a good matchup to watch here. Miami's 37 sacks are tied for 10th most in the NFL and their 45 quarterback hits are 9th most. Back to the discrepancy between Carr and Mariota. Carr's interception rate has not eclipsed 1.8% since 2017. He takes care of the football. Mariota, on the other hand, has a career INT rate of 2.5. However, Mariota has 33 career fumbles to Carr's 63 fumbles. And that includes significant more time as a runner for Mariota. He has 1,487 career rushing yards and 12 touchdowns on the ground compared to Carr's 210 yards and five rushing touchdowns as well. So the turnover battle kind of I guess evens out when you look at the interceptions and fumbles combined. Mariota more dangerous as a runner, obviously. Derek Carr more accurate and more efficient in the short passing game. It's an interesting battle, an interesting mix, an interesting game plan juxtaposition among those two guys. Either way, the Dolphins have to prepare for both of them. Both can get the job done if you let them. And my third matchup key here is just to run it back, talking about the running game. Last week, the Dolphins faced the fullback we mentioned with with Jakob Johnson, and the Patriots did get 64 rushing yards on 11 carries out of two-back personnel, so finding a way to get that average down a little bit will be a big key in this game. And the Raiders, although they are an imposing ground game with the big beef up front, Josh Jacobs, who is sixth in the National Football League with over 900 yards on the ground, they haven't been their usual imposing self in recent weeks. Jacobs did have 76 yards on the ground in the loss to the Chargers, but he had just 131 yards for an average of 3.54 yards per carry over the previous three games prior to the loss to the Chargers. He's under four yards per carry this year. Last season, he was over five yards per carry, but still Josh Jacobs, one of the most dangerous physical running backs in the entire National Football League. The running back portion refers to Miami's running game itself. They found their legs on Sunday, picking up win number nine, thanks in large part to 250 yards on the ground. Matt Breida had 86 rushing yards. If he had uh, 14 more, would have had two running backs over 100 yards, joining Savon Ahmed, which would have been the first time since 1975. The Dolphins had two running backs in one game go for over 100 yards, and this helps provide a boon for the offensive passing game and quarterback to Otunga Vailoa as well. We talk about the uh, accuracy rate. Sports Info Solutions has some really cool in-depth data they, they track, and they grade catchable versus uncatchable passes. And on Sunday, they had Tua with 24 of 26 catchable passes. He's seventh among all NFL quarterbacks in that category. So you stay accurate. You stay ahead of schedule. You stay on point, on time, and on rhythm with a running game that can do that. Man, that pairs so well with the way this Dolphins defense has played. So I think you look at the second half of that game and even include the first drive of the game or the second drive of the game where the Dolphins went 95 yards and turned it over in the red zone. If you can get that type of clock management, that type of running game, that type of efficient play out of your quarterback in long drives, my goodness, this defense can rest up and feast and create takeaways and sack the quarterback. Finding that balance could be a big key for this Dolphins team going forward, and it starts Saturday 
in Las Vegas. So there's your game preview. Take a look at the piece up on MiamiDolphins.com. Some more details and notes in there as well. We'll recap the game on Saturday night as we do always. Well, it's always Sunday, but the game's a day earlier this year. So we'll recap it on Saturday night on the website as well as the Drive Time podcast. Before we get to our media for the day and hear from quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, your boy got his check mark finally on Twitter. I'm sure you saw it if you follow me at Wingfield NFL. Saw the blue check mark randomly on Monday night, right around 11 p.m. That was a cool surprise to see. I had kind of given up on the idea of the check mark, but I will be honest, once I saw it, I was in a very good mood after that. So finally verified on Twitter. We made it, fam. We finally made it. Let's get to a quick question and answer here for Tua Tungavailoa, Dolphin starting quarterback in his Wednesday media availability. I asked Tua about the process of applying things you learn in-game and later having that situation come back up in the game and taking the lessons you learned from the first look and putting it into the into action on the second look. Here's Tua talking about the interception he threw in the game Sunday compared to the rushing touchdown in the fourth quarter with similar looks from both those plays. I, I think that's exactly what happened. They were different looks. Um, but in a way similar, I, you know, in the first one where I threw the interception, that was really, uh, rookie-esque, if you will, you know, throwing, throwing that ball blindly. Um, you know, I, I could have just took the sack. We had points there, whether it was touchdown or field goal. Um, and, and I threw that away and kind of gave the momentum back to, to the Patriots in that game. But, um. I would say I definitely learned from that. Don't want to force anything. Um, and if I, I could have made it with my leg, then that that was kind of the thing. And if not, then we still would have had points. We would have had, we would have been able to keep the field goal. Let's go ahead and put a bow on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. We have a very special feature interview with Kyle Van Noy on tomorrow's podcast. Please do not miss that. For all the injury updates and latest media availability from your Miami Dolphins, go ahead and visit MiamiDolphins.com or the team YouTube page. We also have the week 16 preview up on MiamiDolphins.com as well. Plenty of content for you guys on the website, on the podcast, even through the holiday season. Until next time, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until tomorrow on Christmas Eve, fins up.